I don't know how much belief I had in myself that I could get us to where we are now. Um, but I never gave up. I, I knew that I had more to give. I, I knew that I had the relationships with the children. I had the relationships with the families. Um, if I had that and I could still keep that, I could turn the educators, uh, not turn them around, but, you know, give that to them and give it to Northside and give the children what they deserve. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Early Education Show. This is episode 88, I'm Liam and it's just me this week doing a super speedy introduction to this, our last regular episode for 2018, Where Has the Year Gone? I'm very, very excited by the main part of this week's episode, which I'll introduce in just a little bit, but I think we may have saved one of the very best for last. Um, But a bit of housekeeping first. Yes, this is our last regular episode, but we will be back with an episode just before Christmas, which will be our year in review episode. Um, This is the third one of these we've done, and they're great fun. We pick our best moments and big moments from the year, make some predictions for 2019, uh, and also answer your questions. But to answer your questions, we need to get them. Um, You can find the link in the show notes for this episode. Episode, so please, please send some in. We're actually recording this end of year episode next Tuesday, December the 4th, so we will need some by then. Um, our Exploring the NQS series for our Patreon supporters is continuing over the break, and earlier this week we released the episode on Element 1.2.1, Intentional Teaching. Uh, this is a particular favourite topic of mine, so I'd really recommend joining us on Patreon and having a listen. I'd also like to take this opportunity, while they're both not here, to thank Leanne and Lisa for doing this crazy show with me again for another year. The main benefit of this podcast uh, for me is getting to listen to and learn from these two amazing women every single week, and I'm so grateful for their collaboration and friendship. Both of them could be doing far better things with far more interesting and exciting people, and yet they let me record our chats every week. They are both incredible and amazing which is a great segue, because Incredible and Amazing both apply to the two voices you're going to be hearing from for the rest of this episode. I've mentioned before on the podcast that my day job is with the Children's Services team at Northside Community Service in the ACT. I wanted to devote our last regular episode of 2018 to a big discussion on leadership, quality improvement, and the challenges faced by centre directors. And I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to work alongside these two, as well as all the other fantastic Northsiders. Uh, This conversation features my boss, Anna Witte, the Executive Director for Children's Services, and Wendy McKay, the Centre Director at Harrison Early Childhood Centre. Both Anna and Wendy are early childhood teachers and leaders in the sector. And this discussion sees Anna talk with Wendy about an amazing, uh, incredible three years for Wendy, Harrison, and Northside as a whole. I'm so very grateful to them both for letting me stick microphones in between them and record this amazing chat. I should give a heads up as well. This is a bit of a longer episode, but I do think it's worth it. Stay with us through this quick musical break, and then we'll be back with Anna and Wendy. So, Wendy, do you want to take us back to 2015 and the A&R report and your reaction? So in 2015, I had just taken over the role as Acting Centre Director and I received a phone call that our assessment and rating report had come in. So terribly nervous, I kept looking at the screen on my um, computer (laughs) and it wasn't coming through. So there were some mad phone calls um, from to Anna and Liam as well and Amy, who was our um, former director, 
and I was told just to scroll down to the last page. Mm, the sensible scroll down. So I did, and I saw that we were working towards. Um, it was something that I sus- expected that we would be, um, and hadn't read any comments at that stage. Was it working towards across all of the quality areas? All quality areas. All quality areas. All mm. seven. Wendy, was this the? This was your first. I know you were acting director at the time, but it was your first directing role or your first time acting as director as well. It was. I did a short stint in in Melbourne um, at an after school, well, sorry, a kindergarten program when the director was sick, um, but probably for two weeks. So this was definitely my first role. Um, very unexpected, but. So tell me, once you'd scrolled down to the bottom and seen the big working towards. What did you do then? I spoke to some of the educators because some educators were there and then received a phone call um, that yourself and Liam cool. were coming in. And <laughs> we were so... In. Did you know what your coming in meant? <laughs> to discuss the report. Right. Um, I hadn't read, still hadn't read any of the comments. Um, I waited until we all met and... It was terrible. It was probably the worst experience of my life. So talk talk me through, Wendy, what was terrible? What were the things that resonated with you or that you were most shocked by? The comments and the lack of engagement from the educators. Um, with children? With children. Mm-hmm. Um, across, I think, five of the six rooms, um, which so these practices were clearly embedded um, you can't change those practices just before the assessment and rating report. Um, we hadn't done enough work. We, we clearly hadn't. Um, our educators weren't there. They weren't there for the... Some of them weren't there for the right reasons. Um, and it was evident with the report, um, with the, what they were saying about um, educators and engagement, lack of engagement with children. So what was the plan once you'd sat down with Liam and myself and we had talked through the report and pulled you out of the fetal position on the floor and the desk. What was then the plan that you set about? So the plan was that obviously we had to deliver it to the parents um, and it was not going to be a quick fix. It was we had to put some some measures in place as soon as possible um, with educators' educators' relationships with children um, and educators' engagement. Um, so engagement in classrooms, in classrooms, and with children, and really with each other. And Wendy, why or what do you think contributed to educators? So you've described it as a lack of engagement or a lack of understanding. What what contributed to that, or what was being focused on at the time? So before, instead of the national quality framework, uh, there was no leadership. So. Um, educators were really doing what they wanted or not what they wanted, but they had no leadership. They didn't, they had no guidance back then. Um, they didn't really know what to focus on. There was no, um, consistent practices, consistent programming. Um, there were educators with little or no knowledge of the early years learning framework. Um, we had, an educational or I was educational leader. So did you have a split role? So the educational leader, there was one role for educational leader and one role for nominated supervisor? Yes. Right. Um, so at one stage I was assist, assistant director, preschool teacher and 
educational oh. leader before I became the assistant director um, with no time off the floor for the educational leader role. Um, it can't be done. It can't be done. Um, to to now look back on that and know that I am the centre director and the educational leader, I drive the practices. I know exactly what's going on in the rooms. Um, back then, with an educational leader, we did get an educational leader in the end, um, so separate to my role, um, who probably didn't share our vision as well and our philosophy um, so was driving different practices um, whereas myself as the director now I know what my expectations are I know what to, what practices to drive I know um, how to drive change and I have my team that will drive those changes I think having it as a separate role it can't be done mm. um Wendy if if we just go back to 2015, because I, I know you said a minute ago that um, educators didn't have or you felt they didn't have an engagement with the National Quality Framework and they were, I think you said, doing their own thing. Mm. How do you think, and I know it's always hard to um, speak for others and make the assumption about what others would say, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Mm. How do you think educators would have described themselves or the work that they were doing in 2015 at the time of the assessment and rating report and sorry I'm going to ask you another question so when when we fast forward and then talk about obviously the experience that you and the fabulous team at Harrison had in 2018 and the enormous changes that you've made I'm going to ask you then to describe how you think or to comment on how you think they would describe themselves now as educators so if we go back to 2015, what do you think if, if they were at a barbecue with family or they were in the street and someone said, oh, what do you do? And they said, oh, I'm an educator and then had to explain what do you think people would have said they did and what would have their priorities have been? Firstly, none of the educators would have said, I'm an educator. What would they have said? They would have said, I'm a childcare worker. Okay. Um, so that was the difference then that... Some of, some of the educators were just going to work to get a paycheck and it was really evident. Um, there was – educators were unhappy. They they didn't enjoy what they did. Um, I don't think they would have talked up Harrison. Um, in How fact, would they have spoken about children? Not in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, not, li- not like it is today. Not – um, educators want to be there now. Um, educators have seen the difference, and especially the ones that are still there from 2015. Um, the educators that are still there from 2015 have gone on a complete tra- trajectory um, in their practices and their view of children. So if we go back to 2015 and... Um You've just described how you think educators would have described their work and how they felt and obviously how you felt, um, especially after receiving the A&R report. What did you think were or what did you prioritise as nominated supervisor and educational leader as your as the priorities for what you needed to do immediately to, I guess, lead the reforms that you knew had to be made? Um, because obviously a report like that isn't okay for anyone it's not good enough for children it's not good enough for educators it's not good enough for families it's not good enough for our sector it's not good enough for Australian society 
So, so what were the things that you thought, right, these are my absolute non-negotiables and these are the things that I need to focus on and this is the support that I'm going to need or require in order to do that. So there's a number of things, Wendy, sorry, that I've just asked you. Um, firstly, relationships with children. Um, that's a priority. Nothing can happen without a strong relationship with children um, and with families. Um, and with each other. So really re- relationships across the whole of Harrison. Um, and, and how did you set expectations for those? What were some of the things that you did? So I agree. I agree entirely. Relationships, you know, the, our work is underpinned by the practice mm. of really strong relationships. But how that happens, I think, is always really interesting. Mm. So how did you how did you approach that? Okay, so um, there was a lot of performance management. There was a lot of meetings. So talk to me about that. Um, performance management is obviously one of my least favourite things, but... It was your least favourite? was. But is it now? Absolutely not. Um, hmm. I, I very rarely have to performance manage um, educators on the scale that I did back mm-hmm. in 2015. So talk about the scale, Wendy. I think it's a really interesting story. So I think Harrison has maybe six educators um, left that were there in 2015. And the the team at Harrison has 30 educators or 32? 30 educators. 30 educators. So out of those 30 educators that were there at the time, there are six remaining? Yes, so six remaining That's educators. That's an extraordinary number of educators in three years? In three years. In three years to have um, moved on to, mm. to other things. And finding educators to replace those educators, um, I learnt very quickly that it's not an easy fix. Um, to put in an easy fix, you're probably making a mistake as well. Um, so I've learnt, I've learnt that the hard way so so shifting and driving culture within a team is a is a long process absolutely and anyone who tells you it's easy their pants are on fire they certainly are it's it's I think I had a lot of sleepless nights and maybe making some phone calls um very early in the morning saying (laughs) I didn't sleep all night oh my gosh this is the first time I've ever performance managed anybody what do I do so what was helpful with that so in terms of knowing setting expectations and when educators performance wasn't meeting expectations and understanding that performance management was critical to shifting culture and to be being fair to people being fair to educators and saying this is what I expect of you this is how um, I will follow this up ensuring at all times obviously that people are being procedurally fair and people are understanding the expectations of them and also the change in expectations is if as you said the team had been there for a while and people seemed very unclear about what was expected of them and had a um, varying degrees of understanding of professional identity. So I think um, centre directors meetings really help that um, and setting the expectations um, as centre directors. Um, so talk to me about the centre director meetings. So centre directors meetings um, with yourself and I think Liam was there a lot when of the he was invited. As well. Yes. Um, so really being clear on um, how to performance manage um, educators and and being procedurally fair. And was um, that Wendy? Sorry to interrupt you. Was that something that 
you had previously had experience with or when you because mm. we've forgotten to say this Wendy you're obviously an early childhood teacher and have taught um in addition to obviously now having the very 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 responsible role of nominated supervisor and educational leader but was um working with your team and leading your team and managing team performance something that you learned at university or that you know in previous organizations it had a particular focus on or had it been prioritized as something that was critical and key to continuous improvement and driving change um no never not right. not on the scale that it is now and the way how professionally um, performance management and is done. Um, I've had no experience. As a team leader, obviously, you know, I would work with my team and I would talk to my team um, if we needed to change something. But I had three educators in my team, N- not 30. Not a team of 30. Really. No, right. not back then. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the performance management, I know Liam um, sat with me. Um, and I sat with Liam um, when for, for the first performance management um, meeting that we had. Um, so I learnt a lot from being in the room and listening and... Um, having Liam do that with you. Having Liam yeah. do, do that with me because I wouldn't have known what to do. I probably <laughs> would have been like a duck out of water. So, um, and talking to other centre directors as well. Because mm. um, you were talking, sorry, Wendy, you were talking about the centre director meetings. So, so centre director meetings really drove the change and we talked a lot about performance man- management Yeah. Um, and, you know, really documenting everything um, and, and also driving the change of educators calling out things that weren't right. So um, resetting expectations of reset, educators. Yeah. And with the, um, with the centre director meetings, Wendy, they, they were... Um, from memory on a fortnightly basis and um, agendas were set for them and we would have there'd be lots of discussion prior to a meeting about what was required to be discussed at those meetings and although they were you know only intended to be maybe two hours at the beginning when we were thinking because across Northside not just at Harrison we had to make some really significant changes and reforms to our approach to early childhood education and our approach to professional identity and obviously repositioning the nominated supervisors and educational leaders as leaders of their centres. And that that did require a huge amount of change and discussion and reprioritising. Definitely. Centre directors' meetings didn't go for two hours and uh, they went for a lot longer. Not for a um, long and, time. And this was because you're exactly right, that it wasn't just Harrison. It was the whole of Northside. We needed to have clear expectations across the whole of Northside. Um, we needed to have a standard that was um, the same at every centre. Um, so. And I th- it's interesting, Wendy, because I think one of the things that you've talked a lot about um, to me, not obviously just today, and we've talked a lot about is that um, you seem to have um, really taken the the importance of meeting with people. So from the centre director meetings, and I know you know that previously the the regularity of centre director meetings hadn't been prioritised, and let alone the things we discussed in the centre director meetings hadn't been prioritised. But um, one of the things that I know you put in place pretty much immediately um, upon being appointed 
director at Harrison was a really tight, strict, non-negotiable schedule around meetings with your team leaders and with teams in classrooms and then as a whole centre team to come together to discuss and debate um, and, you know, just engage in pretty rigorous conversations about practice. Absolutely. So our centre, uh, sorry, our team leaders meetings are set in January. So all educators know. Oh, at the beginning of the year? At the beginning of the year. Wendy, I didn't know that. So you set all of the meeting times in January? So okay. centre direct, sorry, team leaders meetings and um, staff meetings are all set in January. Um, and room meetings where, when educators can have them will it will occur at least twice a month um in the rooms um if not depending on the room um if not weekly so So, i want to ask you about meetings because i know you know in the in the work um that i've done both within and outside of northside and i know in the workshops that liam and i run here in the act when we're talking with educators about how important it is to bring people together and given the constraints that we have with Um, you know shift times and our operating hours and um, rostering and the numbers of educators that we have in classrooms people will always say it's too difficult to do we can't get people out of classrooms we can't meet that's impossible what do you mean Anna you're completely bonkers that just can't happen so I'm really interested Wendy in how you obviously not only are you scheduling meetings a year in advance so you're scheduling them in January but how how have you managed to ensure that they happen with such regularity and that they they are non-negotiable and that your team know that that needs to happen? So what are some of the things to people who are listening? What would you say to them if they were saying, well, that's impossible. I can't have a staff meeting or a team meeting or my team leaders won't do that. What would you say? To have a look at their team. So if mm-hmm. educators want to have um, these meetings then they need a team who who want to have those meetings as well. Um, I have my team leaders, that's all all they want to do is meet. Like mm. if I Did they at the beginning? Not in two thousand fifteen, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um now um educators will say to me, Oh, we're scheduled a meeting tomorrow, is it on? We've got four team leaders away. Should we still have it? So educators now will come to me saying, Oh, we haven't we haven't had our meeting. Um, is it going ahead? We may need to one day or two days um change it. Um, but educators are asking for it. And tell me about um the roles that everyone has in those meetings. So I, I'm assuming they're agendered and they're minuted. Yes. And minutes are circulated. So everything is documented. So our staff meetings, our team leaders meetings, our hub meetings and our room meetings are all documented. Um, Educators send me um, the agenda for their team leaders meetings. Um, I send out the agendas for staff meetings and our um, team leader meetings. And all educators have the responsibility of speaking up in those meetings. Um, It's a really reflective um, of what's happening, especially before assessment and rating, um, those meetings were a lot more often. Like sometimes we would have two meetings a week. Um, for educators who say it can't happen, it, it really can. Um, if you want to make it happen, you can make it happen. Um, 
my educators will never come to me unless um, someone, three main players are away in the room and say, I can't possibly come. Um, if they do that, they will get um, the minutes and come and talk to me about what what's happened in the meetings. And that's the same with our staff meetings. Um, all the and minutes. how often, are, how regular are the staff meetings, the full staff meetings? Staff meetings are once a month. So scheduled once a month. Um, obviously, if something major happens, um, we will call um, another meeting. So if we need to talk about supervision or we need to talk about something um, that's happening, our, our twilight nights or how we are going to do something, um, we will call a SNAP meeting and educators will get off the floor for that as well. Um, they're in the morning, so they're 9.30 in the morning, so all educators are um, present um, in the centre. So you, they're scheduled for um, 9.30 in the morning once the last um, shift time has started? Absolutely. So, yeah, right, okay. So they can go for, some have been known to go for about an hour. Um, educators in the rooms know that they're going to happen as well and they will keep things going. So they'll keep the breaks going where possible. Um, if not, we just work it out in the end. I can go and cover breaks. Um, we do have, you know, flexibility in our rooms as well, um, which is, is good for us. Um, and educators, they communicate, they work well together. Um, that's, that's how it works. It can work. So, Wendy, I want to um, talk to you about, I know you said a minute ago that you cover breaks and obviously Harrison is a huge centre. It's six classrooms and um, I'm thinking to when you talked before about when the educational leader and the nominated supervisor leader role was split and it wasn't the one role as it now is across all five of Northside's early childhood centres, I feel really strongly that you can never dilute leadership and educational leadership has to be positioned um, in the same way that operational leadership is as well. Um, I'm interested in how you, given the size of Harrison, how you prioritise your time in classrooms, working with and alongside educators, um, particularly thinking about the educational leader role um, and, and how you do that. So how you make that happen and um, how you've been able to prioritize that. And then in turn, how you feel that has influenced the changes that you've seen and have made at Harrison in the last three years. Um, I remember when I was offered the role of acting oh, director. And how thrilled you were about that, Wendy. Yes, I really was. <laughs> um, I think my comment was, I didn't study all this time to sit in an office. I still stand by that. Yeah, I, I um, think you did say that, actually. I will never be one to sit in an office. Mm. I would rather I get into work um, in the morning. I get all the tasks that need to be done, payroll, rosters, everything done first thing in the morning. And I spend my time in, in the rooms I really enjoy being in the rooms. It's the only way that um, practice and change can be driven is by um, being in the room, seeing what's happening. And working alongside um, your educators. Absolutely. Yeah. I know how hard it is yeah. to be in a room. I, I know that each and every day my educators put in 100%. Mm. If I put pick up a broom in the room or a mop, 
I will. But educators will say, you can't do that. You're the centre director. I can. Yes, you should be, Wendy. Absolutely. I'll change a nappy. I'll, you know, I'll do everything that my educators do. Um, And that's how change is driven by by seeing educators, Um, by really role modelling practices. Um, So it's the only way it can be done. Wendy, one of the the, the um, greatest things that I have learned in my time in early childhood is as a leader, you can only be credible if you are visible. And credibility is absolutely key in, in everything that leaders do. And so I'm always perplexed and intrigued when people or people in leadership roles or positions talk about being non-teaching or you know they're not in classrooms because I I'm always really interested in in how they enact their roles if that's not the case because the the leader of any team has to be visible and credible and working with and alongside their team's driving practice and you know leading that change. Definitely. When I have interviews, I talk to educators, um, potential educators about um, Harrison, and I tell them I'm in the rooms. I'm always in the rooms, not because I want to um, be so-called spying on educators, because I genuinely, (laughs) I actually want to be in the rooms. I want to be alongside my educators. Um, They they enjoy it when I'm in there. I know every child in the in the centre. I know every family. Um, I say to my, my educators, this, I had the best day. I went home yesterday so tired because I really did spend pretty much seven hours in the rooms. My choice. And, so, and Wendy, how do you balance that? Because obviously, you know, working within um, as part of a, a, a larger organisation, you know, there are organisational pressures that inevitably come your way let alone the responsibilities that you have the very serious complex responsibilities as nominated supervisors you know are the the um endless sometimes contact from families the um requests and and contact from the regulatory authority how do you how do you balance that and prioritize because i can imagine too for maybe people listening they'll be thinking well that's great but how do you do that wendy and what one thing i think is really important probably to add is you know at the moment you don't have a a center administrator so you don't have we don't have that support in place at the moment um, and it pretty much is you as the only person who isn't, you know, rostered into a classroom on a permanent, ongoing basis. So how do you, how do you how do you juggle that? So things like rosters, we have a set day to do rosters. So on a Friday, we'll do our rosters for the next week. Um, oh, sorry, for the next fortnight. Um, so I think it's a matter of being organised. I'm super organised. Um, I couldn't not be in a centre the size that, that we are. Um, I have a 2IC and a 3IC um, and I have my champions. I have my team leaders who um, I can rely on. I can rely on them to drive um, change as well. Um, I can rely on my 2IC to check the rosters to make sure I haven't made any mistakes because that can be really bad. I have, on my 2IC, also will document meetings 
Um, so to have those people that you can turn to, which is what we've got, we've got educators who will support each other, will put their hands up and say, you know what, can I learn how to do this? Absolutely, you can learn how to input the um, the newsletter. I'd love you to. Um, it takes so much pressure off and it's giving my champions those extra responsibilities um, because they want it, because they want to learn how things are done. Um, my two I see will quite often do CareLink, Quick Kids, um, all our team leaders can um, log children in and out. Um, they just they, they want to be there. They want to learn more. With the very fabulous Harrison team, how how do you prioritise or how do you approach um, thinking about giving educators the opportunities to further develop particular skills? So people who are wanting to later on go into either assistant directing roles or who are wanting to be directors and educational leaders themselves? Are they discussions that you have with people? When you, I know you mentioned before that you have champions um, at the centre who, you know, will support and, and do other, um, other things outside of their primary role as educator with and alongside you. Is that that they've self-identified or how do you, how do you determine or how do you ascertain who's interested in... Um, going on and exploring other opportunities and then giving them the opportunity to further develop skills. How how do you know that? So what's the process that you have in place to support the ongoing growth and development of your team? Okay. Um, It's, I meet with my team leaders um, individually. So we'll talk about um, where they want to be. We'll look through their work plans. Um, How often do you do work plans? So they're once a year. Okay. Um, we'll quite often review them throughout the year. Yeah. Um, educators, I probably identify with my educators a lot um, where I see um, that they can, they can upskill as well. Um, so all our educators um, are either Cert 3 um, and our Cert 3s are wanting to go on to diploma. So... A lot of them self-identify. Others, we work together and um, I'll approach them and say, hey, you'd be really good at this. Or like one of my educators um, has recently said, oh, I want more, I want more to do. I, I want more responsibility. So she's identified with that as well. Um, so it's a bit of a, a bit of me talking to educators um, working together. Um, and I I know Wendy too. When um, in 2015, when um, you went through assessment rating for the first time, um, can you talk about the qualifications of the team at that time? So I know you're obviously an ECT and have been one for a while. Did you have any other ECTs in the centre at the time? No, none at all, and no, no one studying. No one was studying at no. that time, and no one identified that they wanted to study. And um, then now, how many studying ECTs so and we qualified have ECTs do you four have? Four ECTs. Four fully qualified ECTs. Yes, fully qualified. Well, about to get two are about to get their certificate in about three weeks. Excellent. So four so fully four qualified, fully quali- qualified, and um, one other educator studying. Right. So we have 
Yeah, potentially we will have five, and I'm not giving up any of them. Oh, <laughs> note to Anna. Excellent. Thanks, Wendy. So, Wendy, just thinking back about 2015, and I know we've talked about um, the sort of processes and some of the operational changes that you've made, particularly around um, the team and, and meetings and how critical and important relationships with children are and your focus on that at the time. What do you think some of the biggest lessons that you've learnt from that time are and you know what would you tell your three-year younger self about what was important and what wasn't important keeping in mind that this was your first directing job you were staring down the barrel of a working towards rating with a team that you've described as not being particularly engaged nor having a really strong sense of professional identity what, what do you think were the biggest lessons or the biggest things that if you had your time again, you would either ensure you prioritised or you would prioritise? Definitely relationships with children and, and educators' image of the child. Um, also um, trying to build a strong team. Um, so the team, the educators' team. image of educator alongside and image of child. Image of child. Mm. Wendy, I find that really exciting because I, in early childhood, we, and rightfully so, have talked so much at length about, you know, image of child and, and, and children, as we should. I think sometimes we've neglected the importance of educators and, and image of educators. Mm-hmm. And in my view, we can't talk about children and the experiences they have without talking about educators and that's really hard because we have a workforce in crisis and we have significant issues facing our our sector and you know retention and qualification and pay and conditions so to hear you talk about that as being the two priorities you would you know you would absolutely prioritize children and relationships with children but equally the relationships that you had with educators and educators understanding of their roles and their images of themselves as educators is is really exciting. I think educators feel that as well. There's definitely there's something different with my educators now. Um, you walk down the hallway, it's it just feels different. Um, there is there's nothing like getting an assessment assessment and rating report which is working towards and like it's still it's still quite raw um i, I can ha- tell wendy you look <laughs> visibly stressed talking about it it it, it, it was terrible um yeah. i still don't i had to force myself to go back and and find some good points that's how bad it was um so what kept you going what kept you going at that time wendy cuz because it it probably seemed like an insurmountable it was task ahead of you I think support um and people believing in me I don't know how much belief I had in myself that I could get us to where we are now um but I never gave up I I knew that I had more to give I I knew that I had the relationships with the children I had the relationships with the families um if I had that and I could still keep that. 
I could turn the educators, uh, not turn them around, but, you know, give that to them and give it to Northside and give the children what they deserve. Um, And so, Wendy, if you were talking to approved providers, so as a nominated supervisor and an educational leader, so you just talked about how important support is and was at that time, if you could talk to approved providers or if you had them listening, what what would you say to them about the support that's required for nominated supervisors on a daily basis, let alone when you're in a position where you are meeting or exceeding the national quality standard, but when you are working so tirelessly to drive change and embed a culture of continuous improvement, what is it that you think approved providers need to know and what it, what would support look like or what's your experience of what that should look like? Well, I think the support that I had was I could always call someone. There was always someone available for me to call and someone with a lot more experience than myself. Um, so whether it be Anna and Liam or the other centre directors as well, um, there was always someone there. And having centre directors meetings that are driving the change within us and then having us having team leaders meeting to drive that change as well. Um, Without the support, I wouldn't be where I am now. Absolutely wouldn't. Um, When I first came to Harrison and was assistant director, I was made assistant director with no training whatsoever, with, with nothing. I didn't, I, our admin officer taught me how to use CareLink and Quick Kids. Um, so there was, there was none of that. Now it's, it's rigorous. It's the training that, um, we all receive, um, the professional development that's on offer, um, for not only centre directors, but for the whole of the team at Northside, it's, there's never been anything like it at Northside. Um, for me, um, having um, support and um, not only the centre directors but um, Anna and Liam and Mary come out um, not just because we were going through assessment rating um, but coming out to see how we were going, Um, not just centre directors but the whole team Um, and the feedback um, from parents, the feedback um, from, from Northside, not know other people in Northside um community services you know Bruce has come out um that support means a lot um Bruce is our CEO (laughs) he is um and I think to have the the rigorous um Processes processes and practices and um, policies, going through things um, like that and consistently reviewing um, our practices and reviewing um, how we do things. We wouldn't be where we are now if we didn't stop and think what wasn't right. If we go back to 2015 where I think centre centres and centre directors were working in isolation, I think that's often the case in our sector, just given the constraints that we have around 
you know, rostering and staffing that regardless of whether um, centres are part of a bigger organisation, people, you have to fight against the working in isolation tide all the time. And I know in 2015, and and when I first came to Northside, it felt like people were working in silos in a very isolated way. Whereas, you know, as you've just described, doing the monthly audits means you're all, all of you are working across one another's centres and developing relationships, not just with each other as colleagues, you know, building that really strong team of nominated supervisors and educational leaders, but also with other educators and being able to spend time with educators, which, with, which then means educators too are having the opportunity to work across not just the centre that they're, you know, rosseted into, but actually across, you know, other other um centers as well i think when you said that center directors and centers were working us in as silos rooms were working in in silos as well so in 2015 rooms were working in silos rooms were not it wasn't a team so and i think that was indicative of Northside back in 2015 or even before um I didn't really know any centre directors. I didn't know anyone at head office. I really, I probably worked in in my own little silo because I didn't know anyone um, when I first came to Northside. Um, and and the rooms and were, were definitely working in silos. They were pretty much working against each other. Um, it's really evident from sending out an email saying, does anyone have a spare educator? And you'll get four emails back saying, yes, I do, or no, I don't. Sorry, I can't help. Um, assessment and rating send, um, having, so we had a, a quite a few, quite a few educators um, away or on leave. Um, no stress or pressure, Wendy. <laughs> no, there ah. wasn't at all. Um, <laughs> because, and I say that I believe that because I knew that other centres would help um, with that and send um, permanent educators over. Um, so giving people time off for whatever reason during assessment and rating, some some we didn't have a choice with if they were ill. Um, I knew that it would be fine. Um, same with when our other centres were going through assessment and rating. If we could help in any way, we would. Um, that's how we work as a team. Um, it we don't know any other different any different way now. That's that's just the way we we work as a team. And for other centre directors, you can't you can't do it on your own. It's it's too big a job. It's it's not something you can do alone. Wendy, one of the um. One of the things that we uh, thought really long and hard about and and have put in place at Northside, and it, this just relates to support when you were talking about the support that um, you, you felt you've had. Um, one of the things that we put in place was clinical, monthly clinical supervision with Dr. Beth McGregor. Now, that, that came after... Um, we had put in place a fairly um, comprehensive professional development schedule with Beth um, across the centres and and something 
you know, I know that both Liam and I felt very strongly about was that the work that nominated supervisors do on each and every day and any day is so complex and um, so complex and requiring such thought and commitment and energy from nominated supervisors that we felt really strongly and thought it would be really important to provide directors with the opportunity to have clinical supervision with Beth because obviously um, directors had developed relationships with her. She was coming in and out of centres and classrooms and we were having those extraordinary full-day PD sessions with her focusing on trauma-informed practice. And I know when I first flagged it with the directors, I think at a director meeting, I could see people sort of looking a little oddly at me, thinking, oh my goodness, what what does that mean? What is clinical supervision? And what am I going to say? And in fact, Wendy, I think you said to me on one of the first times that you were going to meet with Beth, you said, oh my God, what am I going to say? But I'm, I'm just wondering now, you know, that it's been 18 months that that's been in place, what that support has meant for you and what, what difference it's made to you and how you do your role and how you feel about yourself and how valuable you think that support is or isn't. So again, too, if you were talking to an approved provider, thinking about the support and the professional development that's given and, you know, the approved provider's legal responsibility to support nominated supervisors to do the very best jobs they can, um, what would you say about clinical supervision? Clinical, I, I did say that to you, Anna. What you I, thought I was bonkers. Yeah, I, I did. Know you did. I did. I'm like, really? Um, what what am I going to talk about? Um, I'm Did you fine. have a list, Wendy? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I think I sat there and I went, okay, so this is me. This is who I am. This is... And then I think I probably went quiet. And then Beth being Beth just talks. She manages to get things out of you. Um, now I wouldn't... I don't know what we'll do without her. Um, it's It's amazing. So just that outlet to be able to talk. Um, And I think Beth has seen in 18 months the growth in myself um, and talks to me quite, quite a lot about, you know, how far I've come, how, how think, how I've changed as a center director, how I've changed the way I do things, um, how I have changed the way I work with my educators, um, which I have. Um, we all make mistakes along the way and I put my hand up. I have, I've made mistakes. I own my mistakes. mistakes, Wendy, that you're prepared to share? Well, I, I would be prepared to share them. I think we all make mistakes. Um, oh. <laughs> Without a doubt, yeah. Wendy. Um, I think one very, very wise person said to me, um, with one of the mistakes I made, it won't, it won't define me. And I now find myself um, telling educators that, don't let it define you. It will not define you. Um, so I think I probably have trusted myself um, or trusted some people. And I, I probably, it took me a while to shift from being an educator in a room to being a centre director and, mm-hmm. and change those relationships. Wendy, can you talk about that? It's so, it's such a... It's such a huge thing, I think, in any working context. When you shift from being part of a team mm-hmm. to leading the team, I think it's possibly one of the most 
underestimated um, leaps that people can make and requires such intentional focus to to reposition yourself and things mm. within a team once you've been part of a team. Yeah, you're exactly right. It is, um, I, I'm not from Canberra. So my first role or second role in, in Canberra was at, was at Northside. So I had some really strong friendships because I didn't know anyone else in Canberra. Um, my partner was in a position where he was um, a manager as well. Um, so he didn't socialise with with people outside the set or wasn't allowed to either or and didn't really want to. So he's been in management for a long time, so he, he understands that and he can quite easily shift. Um, I found it harder because I had no one. My family's not here. Um, nobody's, nobody's here. So the educators that I made friends with, I suddenly was their manager. I, w- I was their boss. Um, and to shift that, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it really doesn't because I can make all the changes, but educators have to be making that change as well and they have to respect me that I, I am their manager now. Um, I probably didn't do that successfully to start with. Um, now I think I, I've learned from that um, and will not make that same mistake again. And, and I really stress... Um, to anyone in um, a centre director role that it is hard to do that. It really is. It takes time. Um, You have to have your trust in yourself. Um, You have to listen to other people. You've got to talk to other people, um, network, and if you're in a position like I was, not to have anybody here. You know, find find a way of... um, of finding people to, to go out with or so you're not sitting at home or um, you're not tempted to talk to, to people. Um, so it, it doesn't happen overnight. It really doesn't. And, and I did did make some mistakes. I put my hand up to them though and I will always own my mistakes, um, always. Um, I say that to my educators all the time, own your mistakes because if you don't, it's, it's just wor- it's worse for you. Um, I've done a lot of learning, especially this year, um, with things. Um, and I won't make those same mistakes again. Um, I, I, I've learned, I've grown as a manager. I've, um, done some, some, had some really great meetings, um, this year, um, talking about leadership, um, talking with Beth, um, talking with Anna and Liam, um, talking with Mary, um, and other center directors asking advice. Um, and I think asking for help as well. I didn't do that enough. Wendy, thanks for being so generous in explaining that. It's really kind of you. Um, Wendy, if we leap forward from 2015 to the lead up to A&R this year, which was, I know, a, a fairly momentous mm. time for you and the team and I think a time where the extraordinary work that you had all done really courageously and tirelessly to make the changes for everyone who were who are who were and are part of the Harrison community. Can you talk a little bit about the lead up to A and R and and what you prioritised during that time? What you were thinking about? What you um, worked through at that stage? 
So I think from 2015, the change was it started then. We were preparing for A&R. <laughs> we wanted our next A&R report, uh, report. We wanted to get rid of that the 2015 one. So it was repositioning educators um, within Northside, well, within Harrison, um, their professional identity, their, as I said before, their relationships with children, their relationships within the, within um, themselves, um, and I think meeting with educators, you know, letting them know what to expect. Um, I think the, my mantra was, if you make a mistake or something goes wrong, don't worry about it. Talk to the assessor. Um, because mistakes happen. You can't, you have to be yourself on the day of the assessment and rating. Um, we had some fantastic, a fantastic lead up to assessment and rating. We met the assessor beforehand, um, which was fabulous. Um, it put educators at ease. It put myself at ease as well. Um, we also met as a team. So there was, there was a lot of preparation, um, with more meetings. Um, so not just team leader meetings, um, talking about with individual educators, um, making sure that they were feeling okay because it's not me on show. It's my educators really. And the, the rating is, it, it's not down to me. I'm, I, I may be sitting as the captain of the ship that someone told me the other day, but this is my crew. I can't do it without my crew. Um, we did it. It was a joint effort. It was every single person was there on the day. They were, they were visible. They were. They wanted to be there, um, and this is what what the change was. Some people were nervous, but it did show with a couple. But educators were excited about it more than anything else. I I thought it was a fabulous experience. It was really positive for me, um, and I think the educators were as were positive as well. Um, from 2015, my goal was to get exceeding, um, and and we did, we did, and you did, Wendy. Yeah. So, Wendy, what's next for you and Harrison? So, having achieved, having done the most amazing thing with your fabulous team to go from working towards to then exceeding. In, in three years in a in a center Harrison size with a large new team what's next we need to remain at exceeding that's um, I think after exceeding uh, after assessment and rating um, not to drop the ball not to okay we've got exceeding that's fine we can rest on our laurels and and not um, not think about um, our practices. We've gone beyond that now um, with with the centre. Um, I would hope that um, if centre directors want to talk to me about the process, I, I, I'm happy to talk to educa- educators and centre directors. Um, I'm sure my team would be too. Um, we are now looking at centre of excellence. That's that is what we want. <laughs> Good for you, In Wendy. the next three years, hopefully. Or, you know, may, maybe go for, um, wouldn't, 
we just need to keep going above and beyond what we do each and every day. Um, supporting other other centres as well. Like that's something that my educators are re- feel really strongly about and so do I, um, supporting um, other centres in Canberra. Um, so with with that, supporting other um, centres, we have our, we had our twilight evening um, and we will continue to have have open days, um, like open evenings like twilight evening. I think there was, was talks about having two next year. Um, and that's where um, you open your doors um, once the centre's closed and children have gone home to the rest of the ACT early childhood community so they can come in and spend time with you and educators in classrooms talking about your approach at Harrison and how and why you do what you do. Yeah, um, that's exactly what it is and, and we'll continue doing that. Um, and my educators... They love doing things like that. It used to be my old team would say, do we get toil? Which is time in lieu. Time in lieu, (laughs) sorry. Um, But now it's, they want to be there. So um, it's just great. Like it's it's a a whole shift. Educators now are wanting more for children as well. My team. Wendy, congratulations to you and the very fabulous Harrison team. It, It really is a remarkable story of of change and continuous improvement and and quality um wendy if just finally if if you if you had to give your very good self some advice um about your very good self advice if you were in 2015 what what is it that you would tell yourself or what do you wish you knew then that you now know as nominated that's, supervisor and educational leader? Oh, that's really hard to answer. Um, Good. Oh, there's so much. There, There is too much to answer that one. Um, so I talked a little bit about it, like shifting relationships. Um, I wish I had have known back then it was going to be that hard. Um, Do you think people ever talk about how hard it is really? No, 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 it's, and, and especially in Canberra, it's, it's so, there's so many people that, that are just new to Canberra, um, not just centre directors, but educators and, and families, um, it's hard, um, I wish, I wish I could go back and, and talk to the families that we had, I really do, and say, I mean, we've got a couple of families that were back um, in 2015. They could not be happier of of um, with all the changes. With all the changes, yeah. Um, so I wish I could go back and talk to some of the families and the children, um, and I wish I had have known how important the work that we do was back then. Like it, it is so important. It's crucial um, for children. It's crucial for, for educators to be with children and to just be with them, not worry about the busy work, not worry about all of that, to be with children, um, to support children. I wish I had have known all of that back then. All right, my thanks again to both Wendy and Dana for their time and letting me record that conversation. Um, I, you know, I'm sure probably everyone agrees it was really worth listening into to what's been a pretty amazing time for for everyone involved. Um, that's it for this week. As I said, last regular episode for 2018. 
a big thanks to all of you who have listened, uh, whether you do it every week or whether you dip in and out, whether you're supporting us on Patreon or not. We are so incredibly grateful, but we'll be talking a bit more about that in our last interview episode. Final reminder, make sure you get your questions in for our Q&A. We want to have lots of um, crazy ones that we can make mostly give Lisa to answer. Uh, but until uh, round about just before Christmas and our last interview episode, it's goodbye from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.